Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. That could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. However, in keeping with our other tradition, since we are now recording our December episode, we're going to do a wrap-up of the films that we saw in 2018. And to do this, we're choosing five films each. We'll talk about our biggest surprise of the year, our biggest disappointment, our most anticipated film that has yet to come out but will be released by the end of 2018, a wildcard film, and our top film of the year. And while we are doing this discussion, I'll be keeping a little tally as to which films pop up the most so we can crown the Cinema in Context Film of the Year. Two years ago, it was Zootopia. Last year, the crown was shared by Killing of a Sacred Deer and War for the Planet of the Apes. Two equally weighted films, in my opinion. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Now, it's worth stating as well that we will be discussing some spoilers. It's kind of hard to know... Which spoilers will come out? We will, we will, we will endeavour to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. But yeah, just a little kind of pseudo warning there. All right, let us start with our biggest surprise of the year. William, do you want to start us off? What was your biggest surprise of two thousand and eighteen? Alrighty. So um, my biggest surprise is Annihilation, uh, directed by Alex Garland. Um, gosh, you guys. This movie shook me uh, to my very core. There, there's a couple of things about it. It is uh, it is a sci-fi movie, uh, basically starring Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Tessa Thompson, Jenna Rodriguez, Oxa Isaac, like a whole bunch of people I really like. Um, it's from the guy who, I think he, he wrote 28 Days Later, right? And he wrote Sunshine, um, and he directed De- uh, Ex Machina, which I didn't like. Mm. And so one of the, the big surprises was I love this movie. Like, I thought about it for so long afterwards. So it's an adaptation of a book about a, a group of scientists who venture into an alien shimmer caused by a shooting star um, and all the horrific sights and sounds that they find within. Um, part of the reason why the film resonated so much with me is because I am a biologist, um, and a lot of the ideas that came from the movie about Hox genes and about how DNA could be mutated in a way that reflects a, uh, what reflects, refracts ah. a, a version of reality, it was just fascinating, mm. and to see the, the horror show hybrids they have on display, um... Yeah, it was, was fascinating in a way that I think few movies have been for me this year. Um, there's one scene in particular featuring Tessa Thompson's character, which tapped into a almost like a primal fear that I've developed as a kid. Um, what, was what, that, what was that moment? Spoiler alert. Okay, spoiler alert. It was when um, she walks into a field and she disappears and it's just a bunch of human flowers. Yeah. And I, I thought you were going to say it's that primal fear of being strapped to a chair and uh, because we all have that, right? <laughs> anyway, all right. Yeah, it's, it's something so um, uh, subtle as well. Mm. It's such a subtle scene that I, I can agree with you. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah. I, I think for me it developed when... Guys, back in the day, Batman the Animated Series was great. Um, And there was an episode where Poison Ivy turned Alfred and his girlfriend into flowers. She was masquerading in some health spa thing. And um, and so we have all these human trees with their faces and bodies contorted in the branches. And when I was six, that was the most terrifying thing Mm. ever. Hang, hang on. Alfred has a girlfriend? Um, Apparently. That's what I remember. An animated (laughs) Batman. Which is a wonderful series. I agree with you. Um, And so stuff like that, just wow. 
Now, the movie is really messy. Um, there's a lot of subplots that go nowhere. Some of the characters act in kind of weird ways that don't really make sense. Um, but I think that the core cast is really strong. Um, the narrative is vague without being confusing, which I think is a strength. Mm. And overall, yeah, just what a surprise. Like um, a you know, small to medium budget movie that really brings the science into sci-fi. Um, mm. Awesome stuff. Excellent. Great. I agree. I, I love that film. Sarah, what's your biggest surprise of the year? My biggest surprise is a documentary called Film Worker. Now, this was a surprise on many levels, not least of which my husband said, hey, we should go see this film, as he often does, and I went along really knowing very little. Um, Film Worker is, as I say, a documentary about a, a guy called Leon Vitali. And most people will never have heard of Leon Vitale and not appreciate the impact that he went on to have in his life. He um, was not a starring role, but a a feature role in Stanley Kubrick's film, Barry Lyndon. Mm. Uh, And actually, he was um, I think he was also doing very well in British television at the time. So Leon Vitale was an actor from the 70s and... He worked with Kubrick on Barry Lyndon and absolutely fell in love with both Kubrick's way of working and the filmmaking process. And thereafter, he devoted the rest of his life to being, quite literally, Stanley Kubrick's right-hand man. But what's interesting about it, and hence the name Film Worker, is he wasn't um, a right-hand man in in terms of being a, a personal assistant and sort of doing all of Kubrick's errands, although there's a lot of that as well. But, um... Leon Vitali literally learned every facet of filmmaking, and he learned it alongside Kubrick. So he learned how to edit. He learned sound. He understood the way music works, the acting, the casting, and absolutely everything. And he basically, as I, if I remember correctly, he basically um, said to Kubrick, I would like to work with you for the rest of my born days and went on to do so. So the documentary is absolutely fascinating. Vitaly is still alive. He's a real character. He looks like a very old Axl Rose, you know, sort of <laughs> very sort of shaggy hair and a, a bandana, but none of that kind of like wild freakishness. He just seems like a, an aging hippie who's very, very onto it and very experienced and has this wealth of film working um, knowledge and expertise and he's extraordinary so there are lots of obviously talking head interviews with other people from uh, the industry who all rate him very very highly um, and clips from films and all sorts but honestly from a filmmaker's point of view it is fascinating viewing he comes off as such a humble interesting and committed guy There's none of the sort of the flashiness of I'm working with this major league director and it's all about the high life. It's not about that at all. Hmm. And I think I was really touched by the fact that he calls himself a film worker as opposed to a filmmaker. He he considers it very much a, a job, not in the prosaic sense, but as in I am working on film and that's what I want to learn and that's the crafts that I want to learn. And so he does did this all the way through to Kubrick's death. Um, and I, it was it was just mind blowing. It was absolutely fascinating, and it played really not many screen uh, not many screenings. I think at the Academy in Auckland. I I don't know how more widely available it is, but I would recommend it wholeheartedly, both from a filmmaking perspective and obviously for fans of Kubrick. I've never heard of it before, mm. and I'm a big fan of Kubrick, mm. so you'd love it. Oh, excellent. Mm. Well, my biggest surprise of the year is Avengers Infinity War um, because I'm so sick of those flippin' superhero films and I went along and I, I keep going along to these movies not wanting to see them and then I keep coming out going, mm, I, quite, I quite enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I really appreciated the Thanos character as being the central 
thread of the film. Mm. Um, the wealth of superheroes in that film, I, I didn't personally feel overwhelmed. I know, William, you've got some different thoughts on yeah. that. Um, but for me, it was just wonderful. And I rewatched it again with my brother recently. He's, he's not followed any of the Avengers films, and even he was following it and having a good time. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a, a, a real big surprise this year. Um, and like I said, particularly at a time where I'm just so over the superhero genre. Mm. Um, and I'm quite intrigued to see how they they continue that story. Mm. Even if I want to see that whole genre just sort of become much smaller than it is. You know, um, with the way that it ended, with 50% of the population plus 50% of the population of superheroes gone, yeah. it will be interesting to see how they handle the next one and whether they all come back to life and a character says, I thought you were dead. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or whether they're actually just going to own it. Wouldn't that be stunning? Well, they've also got contracts, haven't they? I yeah. mean, they've all got the next Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> film and the Spider-Man film. And... Spider-Man's filming already? Yeah, so yeah. they're going to come back, aren't Isn't they? it we know that the only person who's definitely still alive is Jeremy Renner? Because he, he made it... Well, did he make it onto the poster but not into the movie? Or oh, am I, really? Or am I conflating... <laughs> no, no, or am I conflating movies? There was some film, wasn't there, recently where Hawkeye couldn't get away from whatever other job he was doing, so he's not in the movie? There was, it was sure. definitely yeah. not in Avengers 3, and there's a line that says, oh, he's, he's, yeah, he's not going to be He's busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I Which know. is interesting because he was the heart of the previous film yeah, but he's, yeah. so, he's quite redundant as a, super, redundant yeah. as a superhero isn't he <laughs> um, alright let's go in reverse order so Sarah would you like to share with us your, your biggest disappointment of 2018 listeners get your fingers on those email keyboards to register your disgust <laughs> my biggest disappointment for this year was black Klansman. oh spicy yep okay it was kind of boring it was self-indulgent there were scenes that went on too long there were scenes that shouldn't have gone on at all he wasted adam driver as far as i'm concerned um he took a fantastic premise and i i understand the meta-ness of it and i get it and i wonder whether part of it for me was this feeling of we get it particularly when there were, you know particularly when there were these sort of trumpian illusions which were obviously a little bit nose tappy because this film is set way pre now <laughs> and it and it just felt a little bit like i think we i think we know this so let's go back and take what is otherwise an interesting premise of um, uh, d- d- not deceit, that's not a very kind way of looking at it, but you know... Um, Undercover. Undercoverness yeah. that's like ridiculously clever. Um, and for some reason it just didn't didn't work for me at all. Um, I found the music really on the nose. I found... I, I, I just was so underwhelmed. I honestly would have walked out except that we don't really do that. And, um, and I thought that would do the film well not do the film a disservice but do me a disservice if I was eventually going to put it on my biggest disappointment list Mm. um and it just didn't work for me at all and then of course what happens when you feel this way is you really get that added feeling of disappointment when other people who you respect and care about are all like I thought it was great I really like this and that and you feel out of step with people Mm. um and I don't mean you need to be liked or you need to be on the same page it's just you know there's a did I miss something that's right you know or am I too cynical or or did I miss something or 
I don't know. You know what it's like. That's fine. I haven't seen the film, and I, I was kind of keen, but I'm glad to hear that because I, I probably won't see it. Um, I feel like Spike Lee can can lack a sense of humour, and I don't know whether that was mm-hmm. the case with the film. He can lack a sense of subtlety as well. I mean, I have loved some Spike Lee films, and I could rewatch rewatch Clockers time and time and time again. And I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. Clockers are particularly subtle either, but. Yeah, no, this just didn't didn't work for me. I remember somebody, a, a review said that in black. I mean, this is a, a minor a minor complaint, but somebody commented that it's a film where um, the production design and the cars and the costume all look like the actors went out and bought that the day before, or the mm, characters mm. were wearing brand new things, you know, and that sort of thing. And it, it no, but I mean, as I say, that's a, a minor quibble. But no, I just I just found it completely underwhelming and actually really boring. And too many scenes where I was like, seriously, this is self-indulgent because you should have called cut and moved on to the next bit. Mm. Mm. Right. William, biggest disappointment. Okay. Um, Kind of in the same boat with you, Sarah, in that this was a movie that was lauded by critics. Mm. Um, It's the greatest horror movie ever made. Hereditary, guys, I I don't think it's the greatest horror movie ever made. Um, Have you guys seen it? No. Okay. Is it the one? Is that the Tony Collect one? Yes, yes. It oh, is. I, but I read the plot summary, uh-huh. so I'm with you on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to see it, but I read a very detailed plot summary, and uh-huh. I have visions in my head of decapitations and uh-huh. horrific things. So yes. I'm with you. Well, I um, let's just say the first decapitation, I was like, whoa, that was like this is really edge of my seat stuff. It's a movie about a family that's haunted by the death of its its grandmother, basically, its matriarch, and she's mm. very secretive, and all these little secrets come leaking out. And the I would say the first maybe hour of the movie, even hour and a half, like it is it is fantastic. It's everything that it says on the box. Mm. Like it's it's very atmospheric. Um, a lot of the the scares are more of the unsettling kind of lingering shots. Um, there's a real sense of despair and depression and the, the running kind of through line of whether mental illness is running through the family. I mean, hence the you know title Her- hereditary, um, and really well acted. Tony Collette is great. Oh, um, yeah. Alex Wolf, who's in Jumanji is the Dwayne the Rock Johnson character. Um, he's, he's so different in this movie and he, he plays his son beautifully. Um, as well as Millie Shapiro as the daughter. And then the movie takes a very definite turn and just at least for me completely lost me the the third act denouement and what happens then it goes straight into goofy town and oh, no. i don't know i don't know whether people are supposed to find that you know this explosion of viscera and of like oh geez people are being possessed and all that stuff like mm. scary mm. but what i found scary about the film and what what i found really enjoyable about the film was just at least to me, all thrown out the window. Mm. And it ends on such a crazy tableau that I, I don't know if you're supposed to laugh. Mm. Um, I, I was like loudly laughing at the screen. <laughs> mm. um, probably not in a very polite way, yeah. but in the movies, um, not a good ending. And I, I felt it retroactively just rendered the rest of the movie completely pointless. Because oh, if, if this is our destination, then what was the point of any of that? Mm. Um do yeah, you think so. it was a ham-fisted way to relieve the tension? Uh, or do you think it well, wasn't I, intended to be funny at all? No, I, I felt like the, the change in tone was exactly what the director wanted. Right. Exactly. And you see hints of it before where some of the music cues are a little too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> using that term. Like, um, I don't want you to tell me when to be scared or when there's suspense mm. going... Yeah. Um, and then it goes, like, completely... 
um, on the nose. Mm. Uh, there's no subtlety at the end, and I, I that's that was the intention, yes, but I, I don't think it worked, at least for me. Mm. Um, so that's my biggest disappointment. Which you know, everyone and their mothers have been saying, "This is the new Babadook. This is this mm. is so great," and I do do not think so. Right? Wow. Well, my biggest disappointment of the year was Incredibles two. Mm. Um, and it's my disappointment, biggest disappointment, not because it was a bad film, but because it was almost a wonderful film. And for me, um, all of the family stuff was great. Mm. All of the main character stuff was great. But uh, when the sister character of the guy who's trying to get the superheroes back into the game, when she walks into the scene, I'm like, who is that person? <laughs> She's so clearly got something else going on. And then the villain through the piece is really great. The creepy um, screen slaver. But then when it's revealed, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, that it's the sister who's just been so clearly there for no reason. It just felt to me like it was a massive missed opportunity. She was a really underdeveloped character. Mm. And I feel like if they had just worked that villain carefully and, and made her more of a part of the story beyond mm. being a setup for a reveal, mm. it could have been one of my films of the year. So... Mm. Yeah, a little bit more of a nuanced disappointment. It's interesting, yeah. In that I feel like it could have been so brilliant. Really, yeah. Um, right. But it was just that one piece that just, for me, like it lost, the, it didn't get the five stars, it lost the star because of that. And I was so gutted for it because it still fits nicely within the Incredibles canon, mm-hmm. but it could have been as good as the first one, in my opinion, if they had got that villain yeah, correct. I agree. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of the um, messaging around the sister character was also... It didn't work as well as they intended, I think, because um, a lot of like well, the, the siblings. It's it's a criticism of our our ad- adulation of superhero movies, right? Like how we we want to we want to live in this world where where the Incredibles among us can can do these crazy things, and she is basically saying that no, you know, we shouldn't do that because we're we're kind of taking our own potential and squashing it. But the the messaging comes out as really muddled mm. and. I don't know if it was criticised in the audience or, you know, we are watching a superhero movie and you're telling us not to. Mm. Weird stuff. For me, the height of the film is that scene where I think it's Elastigirl and she's in that, that darkened room that ends up becoming an electrified cage with the mm-hmm. screenslaver. It's just the height of the film. And then it kind of starts to go downhill from there because everything up to that point is wonderful. All the stuff with Mr. Incredible, the baby, is just so cool. <laughs> and they can do anything with that baby as a plot device and it just works in so many levels for me. So, um, yeah, a lot of great things. And then, sadly, yeah, and I agree with you, William, it's, it's a messy ending. So, Jeremy, that sounds to me like that was um, an, a, a film that you highly anticipated and it eventually let you down. So, moving on to category C, what's your most anticipated film for the rest of this year? My most anticipated film is Roma by Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we just focused on one of his films in our last podcast. Um, yeah, black and white um, saga, from my understanding, of, of motherhood in, in, a, in, a, in a swan song or, or, or a homage to his mother. All of the beauty of, of Koran's work seems to be on display in the trailer. It seems to be getting five-star reviews thrown at it from everybody. Um, and I can't wait. I love, mm. I love his work. I, I, you know, he's one of those directors where you, you realise that over the years I've loved every single one of his films, mm. but I haven't really acknowledged that he's, he's, a, he's been a key fixture in my cinema-going experience. Mm. Um, and I'm really interested to see what he does. I love that it's a um, connection back to It's a Mama Tambien being mm-hmm. his first foreign language film in a long time, or mm. foreign language to me, mm. not to him. Um, 
And I love black and white when it's done well. And mm. I have every trust in Ocaron's technical prowess that it's going mm. to be a visually spectacular film. Um, and I just saw the latest trailer, which uses Great Gig of the Sky from Dark Side of the Moon as its song, <laughs> and which is my favorite song of all time. It's my favorite album of all time. Mm. So, I mean, it's just hooked into me in a way that I think... I mean, I'm probably going to be biasly loving that film regardless of what happens. Is Unless it only, he... only being released on Netflix or well, will it get a cinema release? I don't know. I hope it gets a yeah, cinema release. In, in New Zealand, I, I'm really looking forward to see what they do with it. But, but it will be Netflix first, right? Yes. Yeah. Which I'll probably have to watch. I, I won't be able to contain myself and I'll no, have to watch course. it. But I'd love to see it on the big screen. Yeah, Alfonso Cuarón on a small screen. That's like yeah. Christopher Nolan on a... You don't... You don't, don't do, that. do that. Yeah, I, I mean, might watch it on the plane. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Someone, people tell me they watch Gravity on the plane. I'm like, yeah. why? Uh, yes. I saw Gravity seven times at the cinema, and wow. every time was a revelation. Yeah. So this film may be modified to fit this small <laughs> screen on the back of the seat. Yeah. Right, that's mine. William, what's your uh, most anticipated film of the rest of the year? Ah, so I, I actually had two. One of them was Roma, so I won't talk about it. Um, Are we uh, giving a point to Roma then? No, no, no. Please okay. don't. Um, <laughs> again, I, I don't be ridiculous. <laughs> don't, don't be so. Um, I, I, I love Quaron as well and I, I've loved all his work up to this point and the trailer looks oh, so good um, my film is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Ooh, which we're going to see as a, as a group as a group yeah a screening really really excited for that um, a couple reasons I, I know some people around this table aren't so keen on it <laughs> oh my um, but there, there's, there's a couple of things that this movie has going for it um, the first two are Phil Lord and Chris Miller like they they are a duo I have been following for a long time, ever since Clone High. I don't think. Oh, I I've seen it. Okay, is this Lego? This is Lego movie yes, and, and Twenty One Street, Street Fighter. Yeah. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. So they um they they're a pair of basically they started off as TV comedians, um and now are into writing movies and producing movies mainly for the Sony branch, yeah. and they can basically do no wrong. Like yeah. um their their raison d'être is to take an idea that is monumentally stupid and turn it into fried gold. And they do it every time. Their, their track record is perfect. Um, and match that with what we see in the trailers, which is a Spider-Man movie that looks like nothing you've ever seen, whether it's a Spider-Man movie, a superhero movie, or an animated movie, where they take computer animation and they stylize it to a point where it looks like um, almost like a motion comic, but far more sophisticated than a motion comic. So you have comic tone, uh, screen tones and textures on display. Um, they slow down the frame rate, so it kind of looks like a still image sometimes. The shading is almost stop motion in a way that's hyper-real. Um, I am so excited for this movie. So I have, I don't really know anything about this film. I'm just going along because I'm like, cool, yeah. I've missed <laughs> so many, invited. and also I've missed so many of our. Sure. I'm so busy with different things. I've not been able to come to any of our group screenings. So thank you, Sarah, for organising yeah, these tickets. Um, but I. I realized that I, first of all, I agree with you. I love those guys. Mm-hmm. Everything they've seen of theirs, I've just loved. Um, and I have deep within me this this seeded love of Spider-Man from when I was a kid watching it on, on Saturday morning cartoons or whenever I watched it that has been crushed by every Spider-Man <laughs> film that has come out. And mm-hmm. it's never captured mm-hmm. that, it's never captured that, uh, my, what I love about Spider-Man, whereas I feel like the Batman films from the animated series, mm. while they've been different, we've had some wonderful Batman films yeah. since then. So I'm really, I'm, I didn't kind of realize 
what I, I still don't really know what I'm in for. And I'm kind of glad that I still don't really know from what you just said. Um, but I'm excited as well. I, I'm, I'm anticipating, anticipating what, what we're going to get. Cool. I just want to add one more thing, which is um, before we, uh, Sarah and I went to the screening of Crimes of Grindelwald, um, we went to a toy store to have a look around, and there was a character, Spider-Ham, that appears in the movie. Um, and Sarah just looked at it with disdain. Yes. Spider-Ham, what is this? Don't they call him Peter Porker or Peter something? Peter Porker. And I'm like, do I really have to go, yes, because your name is on the invite, but otherwise, really? So, you know what? The, mo- the best thing that could happen for me is that this completely uh, subverts all my expectations and I have the best time, you know? So I'll try and keep an open mind. So what's your most anticipated film of Well, I should the just year? like to raise the tone slightly. <laughs> Um, well, most... What was Roma? I mean, it was Roma My most anticipated film, which will come across as dreadfully dry now, is Dame, newly damed Emma Thompson um, playing a judge um, who... Oh, it's called The Children Act, and um, mm. playing a judge yes. who has to make a, dis- um, you know, make a, a ruling on whether a uh, Jehovah's Witness family, the parents have denied their child medical intervention because it goes against Jehovah's Witness principles... Um, but the child obviously being unable to, well, not old enough to, to, um, have it, have its own autonomy. Um, the judge has to make the ruling and I've only seen the trailer once. I love Emma Thompson and I, I would say everything she's done. I'm sure. I mean, she's got a massive career. I'm sure I could nitpick if I needed to, but I absolutely love her and I love her commitment and I love her pathos and Given that I despise the film Love Actually with a passion, <laughs> and yet her scene with Alan Rickman, or rather her scene when she finds the necklace, um, and he's not even in the scene, but she finds the necklace and um, she thinks that it's for her, and then she realises that it isn't, and he's giving her the Joni Mitchell CD or whatever it is, and and it's heartbreaking. And that, to me, is the finest actress ever, and I wanted to be Emma Thompson when I was younger. I think I modelled myself on her in high school drama. And, um, and also, I trained as a lawyer, and I'm thoroughly interested in criminal and, and sort of more people-oriented law. So for me, I, it has the potential to be fascinating and, um, and dreadfully moving. And really pertinent in this age of anti-vaccination rhetoric. Uh, yeah, going to be a fascinating, possibly more successful commentary on current affairs than your most disappointment. Yes. Biggest disappointment. <laughs> Let's hope so. I love Emma Thompson and Sense and Sensibility. I mean, I love her as well. Yeah. Sense and Sensibility for me. And she won an Oscar for writing that. Yes, she did. Is, is just such a pinnacle of so many people's careers. Actually, no, that's not true. Winslet, Ang Lee, they all went on to do amazing things. Yeah. But, but what a great, great yeah. combination yeah. of those those artists. Cool. Wildcard. William, do you want to, do you want to get into the wild, your wildcard film of the year? Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I will. Um, to stay on kind of the superhero train, um, my wildcard of the year is Teen Titans Go! Wow. To the movies. <laughs> 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 and what a wildcard it is. Um, I did not expect much from this movie. Um, I went to it because it has like 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, oh, wow, cool. Um... I know I've shared some clips around with you guys. It is... Guys, it's not a superhero movie. Um, it's not even really about superheroes. I mean, it is, but it's not... Okay, so so I, my comparisons to draw would be between this and Deadpool, or the Deadpool movies, and also Lego Batman. Mm. Whereas Deadpool and Lego Batman all do a thing where they are superhero comedies and they comment on the genre, and they, they're quite good, especially Lego Batman, which is one of my favorite films of the year last year. 
But at the root of it, both the Deadpool movies and the Good Batman are the superhero movies that follow, you know, the classic arc. Um, the hero loses something, they learn a lesson, they get it back. Whereas Teen Titans go to the movies, it, it, it doesn't, it's not interested in any of that. Um, so the, the movie is based on the Teen Titans Go TV show, which is a, it's a comedy. It's a 11 minute comedy where I, I guess the best way someone has described it on the, on the internet is a superhero comedy for kids that's all about the theme of nihilism and how ah! nothing matters. Right. And so the movie is a one hour and a half extension of that. And it's mm. just, at times it feels like robot chicken. Like, it's a joke machine, and there's so many targets. A lot of them are about movies and superhero movies, but I think it makes a point far stronger than The Incredibles 2 does about our reliance on this this pop culture that's, at the end of the day, junk. Mm. Um, and there's some there's some bits of sly commentary which are so fabulous and, and so hilarious in how they pull it off. That I was I was laughing throughout. Um, the animation is really manic. There, there's some really different shifts in animation style where they there's this entire scene animated like a '90s Disney movie because they had the budget for it, which is hilarious. There's one that uses South Park style paper cutouts. Mm. Um, there's songs out the wazoo, like '80s parodies and this and that. It, so the movie is very manic. And it does overstay its welcome, especially by the end. I was like, oh, jeez, I, I don't have and the was, energy for this. And I was going to ask, how does that transition go from an 11-minute exactly. structure to an hour and a half? It's always quite <laughs> jarring, I think, when TV series go to film, mm-hmm. just because they're used to seeing structured stories in a certain way. Exactly. And it, it doesn't make the, the, the transfer perfectly, um, especially because, you know, it does have a skeleton of a plot, and the plot is really boring. It's pretty clear that the creators, you know, they don't care Didn't about really it. Didn't really care about no, it. They just want to tell jokes. Yeah. Mainly about superheroes, but also about other stuff. Um, has a, one one of the finest Stan Lee cameos of all time. Um, spoilers slide, I guess. But he, he just makes a cameo going, I'm Stan Lee! Wait, this is a DC movie? And like runs away. And like, <laughs> Was it his voice? It, it is. It oh, is. how special, particularly <laughs> with him recently passing. Eh? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, really fun and really clever. I think far more so than it should be have the right to be mm. Mm. Yeah. you've Excellent. sold me I've written it down as something to catch oh, cool. and I've really enjoyed the clips you sent through oh, me, nice. so I do need to, to, to <laughs> jump into that film as well mm. Sarah what is your wildcard film of the year <sighs> imagine if you will a film with an actor who looks like Tom Hardy who finds one day that he has um, been infected, if you will, by sort of supernatural, (laughs) artificial intelligent powers (laughs) that enable him to use extra human strength to fight evil baddies. Um, Imagine, if you will, that this film is not Venom. (laughs) I love (laughs) Venom. I love, but I mean, well done for for, for, for grabbing Williams. um, Imagine, if you will, that this film is in fact called Upgrade and that it is directed by a man whose name I've now forgotten, except that he's best mates with James Wan. Uh, Lee Fennell, I think. Thank you. I did did follow Lee Fennell or Fennell on um, Twitter. Uh, around the time that this film came out and, and he liked my review and that was nice and then he Ooh. carried on and then he mm. overtweeted and I had to let him go. <laughs> it was getting a bit silly. But anyway, this this chap um, who co-wrote Saw um, with James Wan and, and um, anyway, oh my gosh, upgrade, absolutely marvellous. So it's so low budget and yet it's so exceptionally um, 
put together. So the chap who it's Logan Marshall Green. Mm. There's been a lot of comparisons online with the yeah. two faces. But here's isn't it? the thing, right? Venom hadn't even come on the horizon when I saw Upgrade, and um, so my husband and I were obsessed with the fact that this bloke looked like Tom Hardy and actually isn't as good of an actor, and wouldn't it have been good if Tom Hardy had played this role? And then the baddie in Upgrade, who is a real. Um, He's a really two-dimensional sort of cipher of a baddie character. Looks a lot like Dane DeHaan. So in my review, I was like, not Dane DeHaan, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, Venom came out. And it was like, are you kidding me? You've Mm. taken the exact premise. You've cast the right person and produced utter rubbish of a film. Upgrade is absolutely wonderful. In Upgrade, when um, Stem, the artificially intelligent voice, first controls, um, I can't even remember the name of the lead character, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Dave, Stu, it's something ordinary. You know, when when the artificial intelligent voice first speaks to him and controls him, it is utterly thrilling. Mm. And I mean, this film totally ruined Venom for me because when Venom first talks, I'm like, yeah, we've seen it before and you're not funny and this isn't clever. Oh my gosh, Upgrade is amazing. So my question is um, more of a personal one because I was in a production this year called Be More Chill Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of discussion around when we were making that production how similar it sounded to this film Upgrade. Mm -hmm. And of course there's a song in Be More Chill called Upgrade. Right. But it's a similar sort of idea, isn't it, with a, a computer voice speaking to the central character. That only he can hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that occasionally Stem will say to him, uh, I don't know, is his name Michael? No. He'll say, <laughs> Michael, if you would like me to take over now, I can. And, and Michael, who's like, I don't even know how this works, goes, all right. And then all of a sudden is managing to kickbox his way out of situations <laughs> and, you know, slice a man's, nearly slice a man's head off with a knife and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's 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 visceral and it's thrilling and it's clever and of course it has Betty Gabriel from Get Out, the woman who plays the 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 nurse, uh, not the nurse, the the servant who sees everything. She actually gets a speaking role and a really strong female character in Upgrade, um, but mainly it's really interesting and super super fun. Uh, and subsequently got it on Blu-ray and watched it again, and it's just as fun the second time. It's it's very short as well. It's mercifully short. Uh, and wonderful. So, you know, good on uh, Lee Fennell, and may he do many more films like this. Oh, one to watch. And, and like I was saying earlier, I just want to commend you, Sarah, for um, taking William's... Um, trope. <laughs> yeah, trope, <laughs> and, and, and giving it your spin. It was it was wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Sarah, for recommending it, because I loved it. Mm. What a movie. And I looked up the budget, and it's $5 million, and it looks like 50 Like, what wow. do you production design? $5 million. $5 million. Yeah. And the camera work is stunning. Yeah. Like, and there's some innovative camera work, but it's also quite low budget, isn't mm-hmm. it, the way that it's done? And it's so effective. Oh, yeah. I have to check it out. Mm. So my wildcard film of the year is Jumanji, Welcome oh, to the Jungle. Nice. Um, I had very low expectations for this film. I love the original Jumanji. It, this, the, the new film, I thought, oh, gosh, what are they going to do? And from the first few moments of the film where they fully acknowledge the old movie, the game is found in a similar circumstance to where we last left the game. Um, there's wonderful uh, homages to Robin Williams, uh, mm. but then they weren't held down by the, the, the tone and the, the style of the previous film. I had a great time in this movie, and I thought the comedians worked really well together. My biggest beef is the representation of the, of the woman in the film, but everything else is a, a wonderful thrill ride and kind of re-energized the whole series. And I'm really keen to see them take this series and kind of develop it further. I feel like the transition from the board game to the computer game, mm-hmm. but also kind of keeping it a retro computer game, opens up the possibilities for a whole range of things to happen. 
And I was also really proud that they took the idea of the animated Jumanji TV series with characters going into the game of Jumanji mm-hmm. as the kind of basis for the story. When so, was the first Jumanji? Ages ago. 1995. Oh my gosh. And I remember that because the, um, what's her name? Uh, Kirsten Dunst character as a kid says, it's 1995, remember? She says to... Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So 23 character. years later, they do a sequel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's Re- extraordinary. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's extraordinary. So that's my, my, yeah. my wild card oh, cool. film of the year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jumanji was great um it's so clever like it's uh, you look through the the writing cast and they're all from tv comedies and i think it, it's very very obvious like they're very young very smart and i especially loved how they these were obviously people who you know understood video games and video game tropes and so much of it is done in a way that's not trite that actually you know i get how lives work and respawning works and npc um, and yeah. they have stakes with the with the, the, the tattoos on the arm mm, and the yeah, three lives. Yeah. And mm, I should put that on my list as well. Oh, it's good fun. And of mm. course, Kevin Hart and Dwayne The Rock Johnson are so endearing. <laughs> I mean, Oh, wait. I don't watch Kevin Hart. Oh, well, he's in there. And um, <laughs> and uh, what's his face? Jack Black kind of returning to oh, form. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, and and the, the girl. Uh, Karen Gillan. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I have to call her that because the, the I don't really know who she is. <laughs> and the you film kind of... No, I don't. And the <laughs> film um, definitely... She's all right in terms yeah. of representation. She does an okay job. There's some wonderful gags. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful gags. Yeah. All right, film of the year. Ooh. So which order should we go in? Who would like to start with the honorary mentions and then jump in with their film of the year? Yep, I'm happy to. Excellent. Right. Four on my shortlist, one of which will become the film of the year. So uh, in no particular order at all, I was very impressed by John Kaczynski's um, A Quiet Place Stunning, lovely film, lover, loved it. Um, absolutely adored Phantom Thread. Now, that was yonks ago, January or something, almost forgotten, but mm. an absolutely stunning, near-perfect piece of cinema, Daniel Day-Lewis and um, good old P.T. Anderson, uh, or Paul Thomas Anderson, definitely a difference there. And, um, <laughs> and is P.T. Anderson the one that did the, the, like, the Resident that, Evil That's film? W.S. Oh, oh right. that's, yeah. true. that's true, that's true. Um, and I've got to give a shout-out to McQueen, the documentary about Alexander mm-hmm. McQueen. I went in with no expectations, oh, took my mum in the film awesome. festival because she loves a good fashion doco, and I was absolutely blown away. Thought about it for days, saw it a second time, still blown away. So they were all battling to be my film of the year. But in the end, I probably have to go a little bit mainstream, although I think that this film is is, um, superlative, and go with Mission Impossible Fallout. I think that has to be my film of the year. Um, It was one of my anticipated films of the year. Uh, I was endlessly impressed by everything that Tom Cruise manages to do. And we've talked at length, and we talked in the podcast a few months ago, didn't we, about his commitment to roles and his ability to to learn how to become a helicopter pilot and to take things really seriously <laughs> and to desperately want the audience to know I am doing this for real so that there is, a, not in a show off way, but so that you are invested in what is going on. You know that I've put the work in, therefore hopefully you will have a better experience, which I think is a really unusual and wonderful way for a, an actor to think about films. Mm. But also, I just absolutely, I just found it thrilling enough to see it twice. I loved Vanessa Kirby. Um, I loved that for once in a film that's ostensibly an action movie, there was a real emotional core. And his scene at the end, or towards the end, sort of the beginning of the third act, I suppose, where he encounters Michelle Monaghan, and there's that surprise, well, surprise for her, certainly, uh, I found it desperately moving. And then later on when she says, I am happy and, 
you gave me the life that I have now and this is right. I just thought it was perfectly pitched. Mm. And, and I, I loved all the different places that it was set and I loved the action sequences and I could watch him motorcycling through Paris <laughs> over and over and over again. And I just found the whole thing like the epitome of what a good blockbuster movie should be. Mm. So I'd go with Mission Impossible oh, Fallout. Awesome. Excellent. William, what's your honorary mentions and film of the year? All right. Um, so honorable mentions, I have a couple movies that we've done episodes on. Isle of Dogs, which I just found... Oh, Lovely, lovely. Everything about that movie. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, mm. so good. Um, agree with everything you say, Sarah. I have First Reformed, which I know it's a 2017 movie, but man, that movie is powerful. And it, but it, it came out it this came year. Out this it came year. out this yeah. year. Okay, cool. For us, for cool. us, yeah. Um, and then I want to end up with another movie that came out last year, but kind of came out this year, which is Paddington 2. Oh! Holy moly. I've seen that movie so many times now, oh. and I saw it on the plane going to London. I saw it, yeah, in many occasions, and it is, it's a modern classic. Mm. I, I, I absolutely believe that years from now, Paddington 2 will be seen as this this triumph of, of children's you know, entertainment. Lovely. Yeah. Well, what, a, what an endorsement. I've heard other people say that it's a wonderful oh. film as well. Um, and my film of the year uh, just came out. Just came out. I've been screaming it to the skies, telling my, my colleagues, my friends, you've got to see this movie. That movie is Sorry to Bother You, mm. um, which is a, a kind of a left-field pick. Um, I, again, didn't see it until very, very recently. It's uh, directed by Boots Riley, his first movie. And this movie, you guys, it, it blew me away. Mm. Um, so basically what it is, it's a... Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much because mm. the, the beauty of the movie and the, the joy of watching it is, is experiencing it as it goes. But it's, it's a... It's a social satire with magical realism aspects mm -hmm. that focuses on a guy in Oakland, uh, played by Lakeith Stanfield from mm -hmm. Atlanta and Get Out, uh, who is taking on a job as, as a tel um, uh, call center person, so selling encyclopedias over the phone. Mm. Um, and then, of course, things kind of spiral out of control. It reminds me, I was telling friends, if you had a Michelle Gondry movie mixed with a Terry Gilliam movie wow. um, set in Oakland, this is it. Yeah. Uh, it it's, very, it's very clever in that way, visually, what they do with, with just the, the language of cinema. But it's also, it's very angry, and it's very angry at, I guess, capitalism, um, at not just racial divides, but also class divides. Mm. Um, and it, treats, it, it never treats any of the characters unfairly. I mean, even the protagonists... You know, there's a lot of people who are really pro-union, but you kind of see a dark side to that as well. Mm. And everyone has everyone has ambitions, and you know, you don't really kind of you don't really see people selling out as being bad at the end of the day. Like they're doing it for their family, or they're doing it for that. Like it's a very nuanced take on this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, just a word of warning: the film does go to some crazy places at the end. Mm. Um, but even that, like I loved. Mm. So that is my film of the year. Sorry to bother you. Great. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, my honourable mentions, uh, I've got three of them. So the first one is Annihilation. Mm -hmm. um, that film is one that really stuck with me. And I need to go back and actually rewatch it because the more that I think about it, the more I just am enamoured by some of the visuals, the ideas, the, the acting. Uh, there's a lot of great things going on there. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they use a moderate song right at the very, very end. And I love moderate, the, the band. They use one of their pieces of music right at the final moments. Um, it was great. I 
also loved Isle of Dogs. Mm. Isle of Dogs was just a, a fantastic cinema experience. It captured my, my heart, captured my eyes. Like It looked amazing. Mm. Um, and A Quiet Place mm. is, is definitely, and this is kind of in reverse order, I think. So, you know, this, A Quiet Place mm. was um, one of the greatest horror films in a long time mm. while being a wonderful commentary on family and, mm. and the state of things. It was mm. great. But, I mean, my film of the year, I don't think it's going to be much of a surprise to you, uh, people, fine people here. Um, is a star is born. Oh, yeah, um, being a huge fan of that film and a film that I've gone back and rewatched. A film that, uh, while some people I've talked to have not enjoyed it, the majority of people I've spoken to have have, have really connected with that film. Mm. Um, and the album is something that I'm still rocking in the car everywhere I go. Um, I'm gonna. Be, I won't be surprised if it picks up a whole lot of Oscars next year. It seems to be getting a lot of buzz. Mm. Um, at the very least, it should be nominated for for many awards. Um, and it's a film that I, I genuinely will, will go back and rewatch yes. and, and enjoy time and time again. Um, I'd see it again yeah. for sure. And I keep saying that I'm going to, and then other things get in the way. But I, I agree. I thought it was stunning. And I think for me, if anything, the thing that might have dropped it half a star. And this is only you know the, what keeps it from being your top film is the trope of the the nasty manager who manipulates <laughs> yeah. the situation and even though of course it is it is consistent with all the other stars that are born movies um the way that the departure of that central character is handled uh and and it felt a little bit tropey mm. um and i and i know there are there are uh, to some extent that sort of thing can't be helped because it's consistent and then to some extent i think oh you could have been a bit cleverer and that yeah, would be the only yeah. things i think that stop that being a superlative film for me but i hear you i think it was um stunning and i'd i'd see that again for sure and spoiler alert with sarah's born yeah i mean that the, the topic of suicide is definitely a conversation that i've had post that film mm. um and yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a film where I wonder how much that film needs a warning for people because it could well, you know, be a real trigger for some people. New Zealand has brought one in. Did you know that? Because no, there was, I'm not surprised. There was some Ferrari around that and um, a couple of people got in touch with the, um, is it the NZFC? Uh, not the Film Commission, sorry, the Office of Film Classification. Yeah. And, uh, and said, look, actually, mm. there have been some young people severely distressed and triggered and so they have put a, a warning on it in New Zealand. It was even in the newspaper in, mm. in, in England and whatnot. That that's what New Zealand has decided to do. But even even not even young people I know we've got family friends sure, who have sure. just recently yeah. lost someone sure. to suicide, and, and and one of my family members had to have a quiet word with them as they were excitedly planning to go see this film and just say, look, you may want to rethink at yeah. this time, particularly with what your family's going through, and they really appreciated that yeah. because they they didn't go and see the film. And it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because you see, it's it's so um, pertinent to the plot. You mm. don't want to spoil that, mm-hmm. and that's what that's the tricky thing I think with trigger warnings. Yeah, you know, it's all very well to say that there's violence or drug use or sexual content or whatever but to say that there is suicide then you're waiting for the whole film to see oh oh who's it going to be and when yeah, you know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. but you're damned if you do and damned if you don't so yeah a bit tricky Right, well, um, we've, we've come to the end of our discussion, and if I look back at the mentions of films, we've, we've sort of got three films that are vying for our film of the year, with one clear winner. Um, so Annihilation comes in at third place, with a couple of mentions. A Quiet Place... Oh, oh they're thank sorted, you. They're all joint. Oh, I, thank you. I, I, do, I do take that back. <laughs> There's joint, four films. Yeah, they're joint fourth place. Really, but I do... But, I mean, Annihilation was mentioned in, in lesser, perhaps, categories. Right. Uh, so Annihilation... Plus um, I hated it, so there you go. <laughs> so dock one of those points. No. So um, in, in joint second place was Isle of Dogs and A Quiet Place, mm-hmm. which I think feels appropriate in that kind of it was shared between peers of us. Mm. But the film of the year with 
a whopping four votes, being that it received more votes for number one for yeah. one person, <laughs> is Mission Impossible Fallout. Nice. Yes. As the film of the year. Dun, 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 Which I think is appropriate in that this has been a year where, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I feel like there have been... Uh, a handful of fantastic films this yeah. year, mm-hmm. but on a whole, it's been a pretty underwhelming, underwhelming yeah. year. Absolutely. I think last year we perhaps had more things to choose from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like having a bit more of a blockbuster film that's perhaps more pedestrian or more mainstream, I think is the word that we used, yeah. is, is appropriate. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that film. Mm-hmm. I know, William, you oh, I loved well. it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that sits, sits nicely. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or subscribe to us on Twitter or YouTube, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss or compare. Look up for our next episode in a month's time, which will be back on form comparing two films. And until then, kakite anō.